But we're going to begin a new series here today. And even though we were just on faithfulness, we were not really talking about the aspect of faith. We were talking about our faithfulness to God. And it seems like every couple of years we need to go back to to faith. I know some churches, they stay on faith all the time. But there's a lot in the Word of God for us to learn. We try and uh, move over to love for a while. We're on faithfulness. Thanksgiving we've been on. Many different things that we need to get on because there's a whole counsel of the Word of God we have to learn. But the Word of God does say that without faith it is impossible to please Him. And Jesus Himself said that will He find faith on the earth? I've been talking about a series for a couple of months outwardly to people. And most people have said, oh, we're looking forward to that. Um, Inwardly, I've been thinking about it for longer. And uh, you can see at the top of your outline what it is. So you've been around any time for a while. You've, you've heard about this. I tried to put the little summary up on Facebook and it would not accept it here this morning. I tried a couple of times and it just wouldn't go. But is faith past, present, or future? At times the Word of God says that we were. Other times it says that we are. And still others says that we will be. I sometimes hear the confusion in believers in the words that they speak, the things that they say about matters of faith and believing. And understand, faith and believing is not just for money. It's not just for health. It's not just for uh, stuff that you might need. We're saved through faith. So much of what we have from God is through faith. And as we said, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Is it that I was healed? Or is it that I am healed? Is it that I receive it now? Or do I receive it in the future? See, sometimes confusion comes because of lack of understanding. And so we're going to take this topic on for the next number of weeks. I don't know how many. The last series I kind of thought was going to go about 15 or 20. And we went longer and we didn't finish it. There's still a lot more we could have done on it. I don't know. I look over this one. I said, Father God, I think we can probably finish this in five or ten. But, you know, you get into something and then you start getting revelation on something. Because whenever I'm, we're working on a new series, I don't really work on it truly until we're on it. Because I'm working on the one we're on. I give it pretty much all my attention. And then I let God drop stuff in my spirit about other stuff. And then um, as we get to the point where we're focusing on it full then we just uh, we can give our attention to it. But, but understand my attention is divided. Half my attention goes to Sundays and half my attention goes to Wednesdays. So if you don't come out for Wednesdays, you miss half the attention. But if we look at some scriptures in Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. By his stripes we are healed. In First Peter 2 and 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. In Mark 11, 22, 20 through 26, So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. 
For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. That's very present tense, isn't it? Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask for, ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Isn't that future tense? Isn't Jesus talking here in these words about present tense and future tense? So if you're confused, maybe Jesus is. We all know that Jesus is not confused, don't we? We're the only ones who are going to be confused. Just to finish the verses up, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Not digging into that verse of Scripture here this week. Just want to show you some of the things. Hey, about this one in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. The Greek actually says an ongoing recovering process. So I want to take a look at a verse of Scripture. In in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is talking in two different tenses. And so we can kind of get the, the idea. That I was surprised when I looked at this because I always tell you, I always like to go back through all the notes through all the years and, and uh, see when it was that we taught on this last. And last time we were on this was about three years ago. And then only one other time before that, outside of the times that we were in uh, in parables class or just looking at the parables of Jesus. And that's not enough time. This this story is is a powerful story. So we're going to have some fun with this here today. He said, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with his with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now that same word sick is the exact same one that is used of the man we looked at last week who was at the pool. Exact same word. Therefore the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God and that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Here's a little side note. I, I was on these first five verses and I said, I could just stay here the whole time. But that wouldn't accomplish our purpose. But I wanted to at least, at least give you a little bit of this. I got some stuff to meditate on this as, as we were looking into this. And I'll probably meditate it on some more and come out with you with, with some things for it. But look at this one. He says here when they send the message to him, therefore, verse three, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. The word there, he who you, whom you love, that word is phileo. He whom you love with a brotherly kindness, with a fond affection. And this word is going to be used throughout this chapter, except one time. One time this word is not used. And we already read it. In verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. The other times that this word phileo is used, it is used when someone in the narrative refers to Jesus. 
This is the only time that the narrator, John in this case, this is the only time that he is telling you what Jesus thinks. And when he tells you from Jesus' perspective, not Mary and Martha's, from Jesus' perspective, let me say, say it this way, from Mary and Martha's perspective, Jesus had a fond affection for Lazarus. From Jesus' perspective, he had an agapeo love for them. So it got to me thinking about this. Because you've got three peoples here. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Very different people. Martha is the, is the service one. How many of you all know Christians that just like to serve everybody? And they get saved through their service, so to speak. <laughs> I mean, they're just always busy doing something for God. But have no relationship with Him. That was Martha. Mary was more on the relationship side, not so much on the service side. And you remember the story, Martha got mad because Mary's over there in the relationship side, listening, Jesus says, hey, she's, she's got this. You're missing something, but she's not. And uh, you remember that story, we're not going to get into all that right now. But Martha got upset then. Mary was sitting there at Jesus' feet. She's over there in the kitchen, doing all the work, getting food ready for all the people. You've never been there, have you? Doing all the work. Everybody else is sitting around, not doing anything. But it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So I began to meditate on this. Why is it that we decided to make this note from the disciple whom Jesus loved? (laughs) Remember, he refers himself that way all the time. Why is it that John feels it necessary to make the distinction? Understand in Greek, it's very good to see this. In English, you're reading this through, you just see love. But in Greek, when he's, when he's writing this, it's very distinctive. Phileo, agapeo. Agape for those, this is just the way it was used in, in here. The reason he says this is because Mary is one who had a, had a relationship. Martha is one who served and Lazarus is just kind of, he's, he's just there. We don't have a whole lot of detail on him. We can pull out a few things about him. But he agaped them all. He had that agape love for the one who had the relationship, who sat at his feet and listened, who came and washed his feet and anointed him with a very expensive uh, uh, perfume. He had that same love for Martha. So I began to ponder, how is it that you have the same love for Mary that you have for Martha that you have for Lazarus. But all they see is, is, is that you had a fond affection for them. Why is it important that we know this? So I began to meditate on this. You know, we, we know the agape kind of love is the love that's based on the nature of the one giving it. We know those kind of definitions, but that wasn't quite satisfying me on this one. I wanted to go into this a little bit deeper. It says, how is it that Jesus has this agape love? How many of y'all know Jesus does not have this love for the Pharisees? That's not coming in there for, for them. He has it for his disciples. He has it for many of his followers. But we don't see that he has it for everyone. Now, why is that? We could spend some more time on this. Maybe down the road in this series we'll, we'll spend a little bit more time on it. I'm just going to give you the, the uh, a short thing for you to meditate on. 
and, and know this a little bit. Because how many of you, don't raise your hands on this, use your inside hand. We don't need to know. But how many of you have Christians, born again Christians in your life that you have a hard time with? Don't raise your hand. Don't look, don't look, oh yeah, yeah. No, don't do that. <laughs> but you know, down on the inside, you're just like, mm, here's that, here's brother so and so. Oh, he just. <laughs> right? And I, I began to ponder this because, you know, you have to take the Word of God and put it into your own life and begin to apply it. And there have been times that I have just met people in a restaurant. And all of a sudden, just like that, it just turns on and I have an acapeo love for them. I've never met them before. But I know that's that's there. And other times, I meet somebody and it's just like, oh, hi. But there's other times there's something in my spirit has gone out. So I began to wonder about this. I began to and to think. And this is what we this is what came to me about this. Is that you see when you have an agapeo love for someone. Oh, I can't get to this yet. We haven't gotten that far. Oh, we'll have to wait. Don't let me forget. <laughs> we have to wait. I have to show you a verse of scripture here later on. I'm getting ahead of myself. It was Mary who anointed Jesus with the fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. His brother Lazarus was sick. Now, this story is often told as one in which God receives the glory. How many of you received God gets glory out of this? And some people have come up with, with the thinking that people are sick for the glory of God. Now, if God receives glory through sickness, if that is the case, if God gets glory through, through sickness, we all ought to get sick. Shouldn't we? I mean, if, I mean, in for a pound, let's go all the way. Be like Peter. Don't just wash my feet, wash, wash, give me a bath. He, Jesus says, no, we don't got to do that. But if God receives glory through sickness, through me carrying around sickness, if God gets glory through that, then why do we go to doctors? Why do we take pills? Why do we go to healing meetings? Why do we pray and ask God, heal me of this? Why do we do those things? If God gets glory. Now, I put three things down in your outline for you here. Why did Jesus go about healing all who were sick? In Mark, in Matthew 4.24, and his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people. You know what the word all means in Greek? All. That's what it means. It means all of them. Same thing in English. They brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed most of them. No, he healed them. In Matthew 8, 16, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed what? All. All who were... Now, I only took these out of Matthew. You can go through the other Gospels and find other ones. I just stayed with one so you don't think I'm repeating any of these. This is one author. Matthew 14, 35, and when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region 
brought to him all who were sick. Bring up the next verse because I didn't bring a copy of that down. And begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it, the hem of his garment, were made perfectly well. Now it's interesting that in these three verses of Scripture, all the people that were brought to him were healed. And yet the thinking has gone out in the church today and in the church in the past that God's will is not to heal all. If God's will is not to heal all, how is it that Jesus never came upon one that it was not God's will to heal? How is that possible? He had thousands out of his meetings. And they would bring thousands of sick people and he would heal all. Now let's go over to another, another verse of Scripture in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. If God gets glory through sickness, why is Jesus anointed? Uh, as he said, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Why is he doing this? Why is he doing these things? Why is he anointed to do these things if God gets glory from it? Here's the third one. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He also sent out 70 at another time. Then he commissioned them. And they came back and marveled that even the demons were subject to that name. Well, let's go on. We don't want to belabor that point. Just want to let you know. People who teach that God is getting glory out of this because he got sick are wrong. God does not get glory out of sickness. He gets glory out of people being healed, people being set free. All right. So, let's go on to our text here. So, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said... <clears throat> The disciples said to him, <clears throat> Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. And if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. All right, we had to get far this far in the scripture. Now we can go back to what we were looking at. But before we do that, look at what he, look at what he says here. He says, we're going back there? Didn't they just want to kill you? Now, if you've been reading along in the chapters that we've been doing, and you've been going through John, you will, you will know that Jesus came into this region, and I gave you the references for it. I believe it's uh, John chapter 8. I'm not going to look them up. And chapter 10, a couple of references there. In each of those references, chapter 8 and in chapter 10, they sought to stone him. Same group of people. Same group of people in chapter 8, they sought to stone him and he slipped out from him. After he, after he slipped out from them, he then ran into the guy who was born blind and he healed him. Remember all the fuss that was about him, the man born blind? 
And so he was healed. Then the Pharisees got all upset because the man born blind was healed on the Sabbath. They didn't like that. And so that, that made them angry. And then in chapter 10, they get angrier again. They pick up stones and Jesus says in chapter 10, for which good work do you, do you stone me? And they say, not for the good works, but for the blasphemies. <laughs> and, uh, that didn't, that wasn't successful either. So two times this same group of people wanted to stone him. And it's so much on the disciples' minds that they, they say, you're going to go back there? Cause he left this area in Jerusalem here by the temple. He left the area by the temple to go out to where across the Jordan, that's a river, across the Jordan to go where John baptized people and he ministered out there for a while. Got away from them. And then word comes to him, Lazarus is sick. And it says here, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. How many of you can think of a time that someone came to Jesus and said, my daughter is sick, my son is sick, my servant is sick, will you come? How many of you can remember a time when he did not come right away? Is there any time in the Word of God where Jesus does not come right away when he is called? And most of those times, he doesn't even know them. In this particular story, John has made the note, he agapeo them. He has a love for them that is on a higher level than some of the people that he that just would walk up to him. He has this this relationship with them. And uh, he waits two days. Now some people have taught, errantly so, some people have taught that he waited the two days so that he would die and come in and have a greater miracle of raising him from the dead. I don't serve a God like that. I don't serve a God who kills people so that he can do great things. That's not the God I see in the Word of God. And I'm going to go with what's in the Word of God. But that has been taught, and if you've been around here any time, for, for any time, you've uh, known the you know a few times we've gone through here and, and taught this one. You um, you know the more the ins and outs of the story that uh, Jesus waited two days, and there's a and how many all know how many days Lazarus was dead by the time Jesus gets there? How many days? Four days he was there. Now that's key. Most of us it just brushes right over us. We don't understand it. Oh, he was dead four days. Big deal. But for the Jewish person. The reason that John is emphasizing that he was dead four days is right or wrong. I'm not telling you that it's right or wrong. I'm just telling you this is what they believe. The Jewish people believe that the spirit of a person, once they died, hovered around the body for three days and then went on to heaven. But during those three days, resurrection was possible because the spirit was there. Now again, I'm not telling you that the Word of God teaches that. I'm telling you that the Jewish people believe that. That was their belief. And that has an effect upon this story. And it's why John comes out and, and emphasizes the fact four days. How many times in this story, if you remember the story and you read it recently, how many times does it say four days? The people are saying, he was dead four days. We are amazed. No one's been dead four days. They are amazed at this. And there's a whole reason why this is brought out. 
And it starts all the way back in chapter 8 when they tried to stone him. All the way back in chapter 10 when they tried to stone him. All the way back to chapter 9 when they were still mad at him, getting madder at him. And it comes up to this, but he finally leaves the area and goes across the Jordan and he gets word. If you are in the city of Jerusalem by the temple in Bethany, if you just read a few chapters or a few verses ahead of this, you are going to find out that Bethany is two miles from Jerusalem. That means it's real close. Especially for them. You might say two miles away. I don't really feel like doing a two mile walk. How many of you have a grocery store that's about two miles away? How many of you would think twice if the car was busted and you couldn't get out there? You, you would think twice about walking to the grocery store. These folks don't think anything about going two miles. Two miles is close. This is not a big deal. It's just, you would, you could work in the city and live in Bethany. There's no big deal. We just, oh, I just got a two mile walk to work. Oh, that's, you've got that nice and close. That's how they look. That's how they viewed it. Bethany is only two miles from there. If you were one of the higher-ups, one of the Jewish people who wanted to kill Jesus and you just found out that one of his close friends got sick, what is in your thought? Guess who's coming to dinner? Ah. And when Jesus comes, we are going to get him. And we are going to kill him. And so Jesus doesn't come. You see, they had a, they had people set up around Bethany waiting for Jesus to come. And on the first day, they know Jesus. Second day. Third day. No Jesus. Three days he's been dead and Jesus doesn't come. He had time to get here. We know when the messengers went out, he had time to be here. And now it's the third day. And by their own belief, right or wrong, it makes no difference. By their own belief, they now believe it is not possible to resurrect Lazarus. And they disperse the people that are watching. And on the fourth day, Jesus comes waltzing in. You'll see this as the story goes on. How many of you would say that's new? You haven't heard that before. Just, all right, just it just tells me how much I need to review. Sometimes, you know, I, I go over this and people say, yeah, we've already heard that. <laughs> so, so he, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, if you're one of the disciples, I'm sure you're thinking, well, Jesus is not going because they want to kill him. And they're probably okay with this because he's just sick. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. It seems like a really weird answer, doesn't it? How many have ever read over this and say, what is he saying? (laughs) What's all this day and night stuff? It's simple. When you walk in the daylight, you can see all the things that are in front of you. And, you know, you don't step on any Legos. And you don't trip over any trash buckets. And uh, you're walking in the daytime. I can see. But when you walk in the nighttime, how many of y'all know that's when you start running into stuff? You bang and you can get hurt. You can trip over something. 
What he is saying is this. I walk in the day. I can see what the enemy has put out in front of me. I can see it. It doesn't take me unaware. Every other time Jesus heard, hey, let's go. But this time he waits. Not one day. He waits two days. Now Jesus right now is about 18, 20 miles away from where they are. That's considered to be a one-day journey. Some people think it's a two-day journey because of the river or maybe a little bit further he might be. It doesn't matter which one it is. If it's a one-day journey or a two-day journey, what we're looking at is the messengers left on a day when he was still alive, he was sick. On their way, either shortly after, he took a turn for the worse and died, or the next day he took a turn for the worse and died. Whatever it was, if they are two days away in, in getting there, and then Jesus waits two days, and then comes two more days to get there, that would be six days if he died on the first day. So it may be that if if it's a two-day trip, that he hung on for a day or two. But before they get to Jesus, he's dead. When they come to Jesus and tell Jesus that he's sick, he's already dead. He's not alive anymore. If Jesus were to leave right then, he's not coming to a sick person, he's coming to a dead person. Because he waits two days. By the time he gets there, he's dead four days. So he hears about it. That means he was dead two days. I'm, I'm sorry, one day, at least one day by the time that Jesus hears the news. If Jesus is just a one-day journey. More than likely, it's a one-day journey. So they go one-day journey to get to him. He hears about it, waits two more days. One-day journey to come back four days now. Four days he's been dead. Even if Jesus left at that time, he would not have gotten there because the man was already dead. But you see, he walks in the light. A lot of times, folks, we don't walk in the light. We walk in the, either the darkness or we walk in the spirit of repeat. Well, so-and-so did this. I'll just do that. Well, I've always gone right away before. I'll go right away this time. Well, I'll just believe God for protection. I'll just claim Simon Omni one, Omni one on me and just go. No, the Spirit of God says, don't you go there. The Spirit of God says to him, don't you go yet. See, he's walking in the light. He walks in the day. I see it. Spirit of God says, don't go yet. Jesus come, comes the next day. Should I go now? No, nope, don't go yet. Jesus comes the next day. Should I go now? Now you can go. Two days. Then he leaves. But he waits. Because you see this trap was set up. Waiting for him. But on the third day, there's no sense in it anymore. Jesus isn't coming. So they went back to their jobs, doing the things that they do. But if one walks in the night... He stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus right here lets you know something. There is light inside of people. There is light inside of them. Now just because you have that light doesn't mean you operate in the light. But that light is there. You can operate in the light if you want to. But if that light's not there, you're in darkness. You're in darkness. Now let's get back to that love part. That agape part. You ready for this? You see... When I first go up and I meet somebody in a restaurant and they have that light in them, my light witnesses with their light. And I don't know anything more about them except that they're of the light. And immediately, out of my spirit comes an agape or love. And I love them with an agape or love. It's not based on anything that they've done. It's just based on, on that. 
I mean, Brother Orlando, he came to us recently. And it's the first time he, he came in here. I just knew. Glory to God, brother. And, and I, I just hugged on him. I've done that with other people too. Because down on the inside, I know. This is an agapeo. This is that kind of love. Now, you know, because of that, I can have some fun with him. Last Sunday, I was having some fun with him. One night. Yeah, I had some fun with him. I'm not going to tell you what it was. But I did shock you for a little bit, did I? I sent him a backsliding note. He wasn't in church. <laughs> so he had to have a little bit of fun with that. But you see, I can do that because I, because I, I, I know what's, what's there. But you see, sometimes you just meet some, I don't know anything about him. But I know down in my spirit, ah, this is somebody I just want to talk to. Now there's other times I just talk to people and it's not because there's an agape love in, in them. There's not because there's light in them. It's just because the spirit of God says, go talk to that person. Glory to God, I'll go talk to him. I just go strike up a conversation with him. Find something that I can do to, to strike that up. Other times, God says, you don't need to do that over there. All right, we'll leave that one alone. Yeah, there's times that you just don't. I mean, Jesus sometimes wouldn't talk to people. I can give you a couple of references for that in the scriptures if you can't think of them on your own. So, he says, if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. We're not supposed to walk in the night. You see, the traps that the enemy sets for you are not supposed to catch you unaware. Too many times, folks, we're not walking in the light that we have. And the love that I have that comes with that light, it gets dimmed because of what people do, how people behave, how they act. Jesus acapeoed Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It's not based on what they did. It's based on what was in him and what was in them. When you get to that place where you can love people, even when they've disappointed you, even when they let you down, but you can love them because the light's in them. Now you're hitting another level. All right, can't spend too much time on that. We're not going to finish our story. We're not doing very well here. We're only up to verse 10. Y'all need to go faster. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Is Lazarus asleep? Have you ever heard people talk like this? You know, they, they, they're going around, they, they're sniffling, sneezing, coughing. Oh, brother, you have a cold, you have a flu. No, I don't! I don't have a, I don't have a cold, don't you put that on me. I just have the symptoms of a cold. You ever heard somebody talk like that? I heard somebody, I don't know who it was, somebody shared this with me, and, and, and it was, it was right, I thought, man, that is so true. You know, if it weren't for the symptoms of a cold, how many of y'all know a cold wouldn't bother you? I mean, isn't that right? If it weren't the, for the symptoms of a flu, you wouldn't care. It's the symptoms that bother us. <laughs> so if I'm going around, I just had the symptoms of a flu, so you just got the bad part. <laughs> I mean, come on. 
We don't need to do it. But is Jesus doing this? Is he denying what's going on? What is Lazarus? He's dead. He's not asleep. He's dead. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. We don't need to go out to this place, into this dangerous place where they want to kill us. We don't need to do that. If he sleeps, it's good. He was sick. He's sleeping. That's a good thing. Body gets rest. You get up, you're healed. Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death. Why does Jesus speak of his death as if he's sleeping? Why does he do that? However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. You guys just aren't getting it, are you? He says he sleeps, I'm going to go and wake him. Why is that? Because Jesus had his eye on what was going to happen, not just what is. See, what is happening is he's dead. But Jesus had his eye on what is going to happen. The reason he has that is because the light he walks in, God says, you're going to go, you're going to wait, you're going to go, you're going to raise him up. Because Jesus only did what his father showed him to do and only said what his father told him to say. So Lazarus is dead. Comes out just plain. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said that if, to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. How is it they're expecting to die if they are not fully expecting some type of a trap, some kind of a welcoming committee for them to uh, intercept them when they get there? They're expecting to die. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in a tomb four days. Now, it would seem that Jesus knew he was dead, did not know specifically how long he was dead, but knew that the Spirit of God told him to go. And if the Spirit of God tells you to go, it's clear. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the woman around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. This is on the fourth day. When they mourn, they mourn for a long time. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now, this may get by you when you read this over the first time. How is it that Martha hears that Jesus is coming and Mary does not and neither does anyone else? Isn't Jesus a pretty big deal? How is it that word comes to the house, Martha gets it, and Mary does not? Pretty simple, and you're going to see this later on as we get through here. It was a message that was sent by one person who came in and secretly said, Martha, Jesus is here. He wants you to meet him. That's why she's the only one who leaves. And no one else does. What do you think Mary is doing if she hears that Jesus is here? She's on her way. 
So, then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. How many of you have been around people? And they can always blame somebody for what's going on. I got something bad in my life. I've got people to blame. It's your fault. You didn't do this. You should have. You could have. But you didn't. And all my problems right now are because of you. (laughs) Jesus has come. Now he was just here in this place not too many days ago. But he was alive then. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Is that a true statement? He was a day's journey away. He waited two days. He's now there. He's been dead four. By the time Jesus got the message, he was already dead. He would not have been able to make it over. No matter what, Jesus was not coming to a Lazarus who was alive. Where does she get this notion that if you had been here, my brother would not have died? Same way we get our, all of our notions why everything is somebody else's fault. Because when tragedy comes, when hardship comes, the enemy comes into our head and he begins to sow thoughts. And he begins to sow things upon us for us to think on. And then we start getting mad at the people around us. We start getting mad at who didn't. And how many of y'all know you've been mad at God because God didn't do something for you? Anybody been there with that one? God, you could have. God, I prayed. God, I was believing. God, what happened? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now, how many of you think that's a faith statement? That is not a faith statement, folks. This is not a faith person. Martha is not the faith person Mary is. Martha is the service person. She works for everything. Mary is the one who's in a position to believe for things. Not Martha. But even now, even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. I know who you are. Even now, I know, I'm not going to doubt you. I know you didn't do what I needed you to do. But I'm still going to take the high road. And I'm still going to be believing in you. Even though you didn't come through for me. I know that you can. And that you will. Maybe one day you'll come through for me. And do what I need you to do. You've never had a prayer like that with God, have you? you ever gone to God asking God for something and it happened for somebody else? That didn't make you upset, did it? You didn't get to a place and say, well, God, I fine, you did it for them. They haven't served you for 20 years. They haven't been in church every Sunday for 20 years. They haven't served in all these areas and done all these things. But you did it for them. That's fine. I'm glad for them. I'm happy. 
That's what's going on. That's where Martha is. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Is Jesus saying that he will rise again on the last day? He is saying your brother will rise again. You see, people that are caught up in this kind of a way, they can't hear it. They can't hear the faith when it's there. They can't, they can't hear it. They hear it through their own ways. They hear it through the things that, that they, they know. They're comfortable with. Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. Now, this is not in the narrative. But you just tell me if this is not consistent with what's happening. Jesus is having a discourse on the level of faith where the person is in the, on the level of doubt and unbelief. And every time he asks her a question, she can only answer it in the area of doubt and unbelief. And she's getting a little frustrated. How many of you, if you had Jesus, Jesus, and you believed He was the Christ, and they believe He is the Christ, she just said it. If you had Jesus, the Christ, in front of you, during your time of need, how many of you are leaving? Why does Martha leave? Well, she left to go get her sister. There's nobody else that she could send. She's uncomfortable. Jesus is asking questions. And he's not taking her answers. She's given the best answer that she can do. You know what? I'm going to wait, Mary. Be back. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister. Why does she do it secretly? And if the person who came before to deliver the message did it publicly, why doesn't everybody already know it? Because the first messenger who came did it secretly, it doesn't doesn't mention it. She comes and also says it secretly. Why is it important that she says it secretly? Where does she get the idea to say it secretly? Go get Mary. Don't bring anybody, don't tell anybody else. Why don't you just go in there and tell Mary? So she goes and she gets Mary. And she comes back. See, they're outside the city of Bethany. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. How many know that's the first time she heard it? She did not hear it before. Because what we're doing here is hush-hush. Usually Jesus isn't so hush-hush. This time he is. Now Jesus had not yet come into town, but was in what? The place where Martha met him. He's not in the town. He's out in the place where he sent people. This is where I am. 
Why do you why do you stay outside of town in a place and you don't move? You let the you let the girl make the trip and bring the other girl back. Why is that? Because Jesus is not ready to enter the town yet. He walks in the light. He's got a mission to do first. So, go back and get Mary. Mary comes. Watch what happens here. This is interesting. Now, Jesus had not come into town yet, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, these are not the religious leaders' Jews, these are just the Jews that were here with her, comforting her. When they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. They don't know because it was said secretly. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, how many of you like to watch crime shows? What happens when two witnesses give identically the same answer? What happens to the person who's doing the interview? What does the, what does the cop say? They've rehearsed this. How I many don't, don't they always say that? Yeah. They've rehearsed their answer. If you get the exact same answer from two people, they've rehearsed it, they've, which means they collaborated together. This is going to be our story. So as soon as you say the same thing that somebody else says, the police are immediately, their attendants go up. You would think enough people know that just from watching the crime shows that they wouldn't do that anymore. But apparently some people still do. Now if Martha comes and says this and then Mary comes and says exactly the same thing, what was going on between Martha and Mary? They were having a discussion, weren't they? You think Jesus will come? I'm sure he will come. And then when Lazarus dies, why didn't Jesus come? Can't believe Jesus didn't come. He doesn't care. Now, how many can you remember? Let's read this again. One more time. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The root of this right here is you didn't care enough to come and to be here on time. Right? Remember Martha's answer when she came in? Master, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? Mary is the person of faith. Martha is the person of works. Who influenced who in this story? Martha influenced Mary. So Martha, person of faith, is now saying the things that the person of works was saying. See, Mary had faith for healing, but not for raising from the dead. As long as he was sick, she could overcome Martha. You all have some people in your life that are just doubters. How many of you all know when you when you were believing for something and your faith is over that, they're not a problem for you. But, when you start believing for something that's over, what you, they can have an effect on you. They can bother you a little bit. I've, uh, I've used this example before because I can't think of anything better. 
And that's what was told for me. But if someone were to come to you and challenge you on your salvation, you're not saved. You never were saved. How many of you would say, I am too saved? I am so saved. Oh yeah? Where's your salvation? Where is it? Show it to me. I can't show it to you. Well, what salvation mean? It means I'm going to heaven. You're going to heaven? Where's heaven? Where is it? Have you seen any pictures of heaven? Can you show me a picture of heaven? Do you know anybody who's been there? So, what you're telling me is, you believe that you received something that you can't show me, the result of which, you're going to a place that you don't know where it is, not seen any pictures of it, you don't know anybody who's been there, but you're going. That's right. You see, because you have meditated on salvation for so long, your faith in salvation is so high that someone can't come and tear that down. But you see, you let someone come in and start tearing down your faith that Jesus wants you healed or that Jesus wants to take care of, of, of a need that you have or that, that God wants to deliver you from the enemy or whatever else it might be that you're believing God for. And you hit that level. It's because you haven't meditated on the Word to build your faith up to that level. And when you do that, then the doubters that are around you, they can start pulling you down just like Martha did to Mary and pulled her down to that level so that she comes and she meets Jesus. Now, Jesus meets Martha first. I think if anything, Jesus says, let's get Martha out of the way first. I know what this is going to be like. I want to get Martha out of the way first. Mary will be refreshing to me. So he sends the messenger back, get Martha, bring her out here and we'll go through that first. And then, all right, now go back and get Mary. He's the whole time, I bet he's, oh, Mary's going to be. Mary's my faith one. She's the one who believes. She's the one who knows me. And Mary comes in here and says the exact same thing. If you're Jesus, what are you thinking? Dear Lord. Oh, man. What's going on here? You see, she had doubt discussions. I put that in there for your blank. She had doubt discussions with Martha. Don't have doubt discussions with people. People want to. The enemy wants you to get thinking of a couple of ways. This is what the enemy wants to do. When he has you facing something that your faith is just right at the threat, I mean, you're, you're right at the top. How many of y'all know, believe in God for a $5, $5 in uh, expenses before, that, t- that challenged your faith. Now maybe you've gone up to $100. You can believe God, Father God, I need $100 to pay this bill or $100 to do this ministry thing that we want to do or whatever. And then you got up to maybe $500. You, you know, you, you move up. Um, who was the guy who had the orphanage? I forget his name. Mueller. Yeah, he he said, uh, you know, he got to a place where he had to believe God for millions of dollars for the, to keep that orphanage going. He said, I can believe God now for a million dollars the same way I believed him for ten. He said, his faith grew. I haven't gotten to a place where I can believe God for a million dollars yet. <laughs> but he was. See, the enemy wants to get into our thinking. He wants to get you to, this is what, this is the process here. He wants you to doubt the intentions of others. This is what they did with Jesus. Doubt the intentions of others. Distrust their actions. Assume a wrong conclusion. Discuss these with like-minded people and act in a negative way toward them. Not giving all those things to you before. If you want them, I'll leave them one up here if you want to write them down. But he's going to get you to doubt the intentions of others. 
He's going to get you to distrust their, distrust their actions. See, that's not the agapeo love. That's a different kind. He's going to get you to assume wrong conclusions. Discuss these with like-minded people and act in a negative way towards them. Now, I've learned this. I've memorized this. I put this down on me. I don't let the devil get through me on this. I'm going to be on guard. Be on guard because know that the enemy is going to try and come at you this way. Don't let him do it. Verse 33, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. This is not because of the death of Lazarus. He's already had this come on. It's because here is Mary. This is the faith girl. And she is caught up with this. Can you imagine this? Thinking that all these years you have been ministering, you have been preaching the word, you have been demonstrating miracles, and you know that not everybody's going to get it, but a few people are going to get it, right? Mm-hmm. And then the disciples don't get it. And then we come in here and Mary. Mary doesn't get it. And Mary goes down the way of distrusting him. He's grieving in the spirit because he says, Ah, oh, there is no faith in here. They all just want to doubt and distrust. He expected doubt from Martha, but he expected faith from Mary. Verse 34, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, in other words, let's let's quit all this, let's just get busy. They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. I think he's weeping more over the conditions, the spiritual conditions of the people that are around. Why in the world are you weeping for a dead man who's about ready to get up? No reason he has in the world to, to be weeping for this, for this guy. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind has also kept this man from dying? They're in the same place. Where'd they get that stuff from? Jesus would have been here. Now, of all the miracles that Jesus does, taking someone who's lame from birth and raising them up, taking a leper and healing them and having all their skin restored. How is it that they come upon this one? A blind person was healed. Why is it that the one that they cite? Could not... This man who opened the eyes to the blind also have kept this man from dying. The reason is, the last miracle he did in this area was opening a blind eyes person. That's the last one he did. You see, the last thing you did is what people are going to be thinking of the most. They don't always think about what you have done in the past for them. They think about the last thing. That's the last thing that Jesus did when he was in this area. Chapter 9 caused all kinds of trouble. That's the last notable, big one. Verse 39, Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, this is the works person, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Can you see that Jesus is getting a little a little short? Roll away the stone. Oh, but he's going to smell. Did I not say? Right? Martha, I want you to hush. I want you to listen. You can't listen when you're talking. Now, however Jesus said this, we cannot see the tone in the writing. However it is that he did it, it got the message across. 
Take away the stone. Martha has her, her, her deal. Verse 40. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone. Nobody else said anything, had anything to say, did they? Why? <laughs> he wants the stone removed. Hey, we'll remove the stone. <laughs> From the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, See, he's not alive yet. He's still dead. Father, I thank you that you have heard me and I know that you always hear me, but because of these people who are standing by here, who have absolutely no faith and can't believe a single thing, (laughs) all right, he didn't say that, but I think he wanted to. But because of these people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Because up till now, apparently they don't believe that you sent me. Because if they understood that you sent me and I said something, that it's going to happen. But they don't get it. (laughs) Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He never prays for God to heal him. He never prays for God to raise him up. He does not need to. He needs to just speak to the dead man and the dead man rises. He spoke to the sick people and the sick people got well. He spoke to the demon-possessed people and the demons left. He doesn't beg God to do something. He speaks to the thing. And how many Christians we spend all our time, Oh God, heal me. Oh God, if you just heal me, I'll serve in church for 20 more years. Oh God, I'll join the choir. Oh God, I'll, I'll be an usher. Oh God, I'll be a greeter. Oh God, I'll, I'll work in the children's ministry. You know I hate kids, but I'll... We start, we start, we start bribing God. But He doesn't do that. The only address He has to God is says, God, I'm only addressing you because these people... Lazarus, come forth. Now, most of us, if we were at the tomb, we wouldn't have had three words to say. We would have been saying, In the name of Jesus! In the name of Jesus! In the name of Jesus! It's going to... I feel it! I feel it! It's going... Oh! Oh! The Spirit of God is... Oh! 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 In the name of Jesus! Right? That's what we're doing. What does He do? Lazarus, come forth. You see, we spend way too much time praying. Way too much time praying. All you got to do is what? Speak it. Look at the prayers Jesus did for sick people. Change yours. And he who died came out bound hand and foot with great clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. All right, we got to wrap this up quick here. Faith is able to seek. Got to get this, folks. Because you do not serve a God who's in the past, the present, or the future. You serve a God who is in the past, the present, and the future. He's not one or the other. He is the past, the present, and the future. I'll quote you one word from Jesus. He says, God is not the God of the dead but the living. It is not that he was the God of Abraham. I am the God of Abraham. 
Abraham is dead. But he says, I am the God of Abraham. This is the same God. If you've been out here in the Ezekiel series, Ezekiel was taken into a future a couple of years ahead and seen events that would happen. John was taken into the future and saw events that would happen in thousands of years. I've made this example many times about it, but you've got to get this down. God is not about time. It's not about past, present, and future. He can take a man from the past, take him to the future, have him write a book that we can read in the present. Every time I think about that, it blows me away. That's my God. Take a guy out of the past, take him into the future, write a book, and bring it back and we can read it. We are reading things not as it, well, this is how it's going to happen. John saw it happening. It's already happened as far as John is concerned. He wrote about it. He saw it going on and wrote about it, but it hasn't happened yet. Because God is in touch with the past, present, and future at all times. We're only in touch with one. I'm either thinking of my present, or I think of my past, or I think of my future. But God's in touch with all of them. He is just as much right now the God of Abraham as He is the God of you. And when He gives a prophecy, it's because He touches the future the same time He touches the present. He is not telling, He is not controlling events in the future. He is simply, oh, you're here? I'm here too. Oh, this is what's going on. He sees what is happening in the future and relates it over here. He doesn't have to control anything because He's involved in the past, present, and future all at the same time. When you see that verse that says to God, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day, He is not giving you a time conversion table. What he is telling you is, there is no time with God. There is no time. He sees the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. Our flesh will focus on one while merely acknowledging the others. This is why some people talk about past only, or present only, or future only, or they vary in between them. That is a flesh trying to copy what the Spirit is supposed to do. And that's why many people are not having success in their areas of faith. So how should we talk? Are we supposed to talk things as if they're the past? Are we supposed to talk things as if they're the present? Or are we supposed to talk things as if they're the future? That's what we're going to spend time on in this series to develop. We want you to see from the Word of God, not my opinion, not reasoning. It's in the Word of God. We want to find out from the Word of God how are we supposed to go about this? There are people who like to speak and be heard and there's others who prefer to listen and learn. People of faith will be in that latter group. I need to listen and learn. If I'm always speaking and and being heard, I can't grow. I can't learn. I can't develop in the the way that I need, need to. But God wants you to take you from the thing that you're doing. He wants you to be able to see that I was healed when Jesus died on the cross when Jesus took on his body my sickness and my disease he wants to see that I was healed he wants you to understand that that means I am healed and how does the future tie into that how does the future fit in with all this so we're going to give you the past the present and the future in the weeks to come we're going to show you some things on this to help you out with this so that you will not be confused Wondering, is it that I have it? Is it that I'm going to get it? Or is it that I have it already? We need to, we need to know. 
We need to find out what it is that we're, we're going to do. Would you all stand up with me? We went long. I apologize for that. but Boy, I knew chapter 11 was going to be a hung dinger. Father God, I thank you for your word. That Jesus could look at a situation and he could see how things are and how things were going to be based on the fact on what you told him in the past. And we want to get to that same place. That based upon what you told us in the past, it has a present effect with future ramifications. Father Jesus was not moved by what he saw because the people around him only saw what they had. He was able to see what you said, what you promised. He was able to see what you directed. Father, we want to see through the eyes of faith the things that you have told us. For most of us, Father, we've got salvation down. No one's going to pull that from us. No one's going to shake that out of our hand. But there's other areas, there's other things that you've promised in your word and we're shaky on it. And when we don't receive it, the enemy comes in saying that God doesn't care. And then things start happening. With your eyes closed and head bowed, no one looking around. Not want to try and don't want to try and embarrass you. But if you're here today and you say, I have had things go on in my life in which I began to think, the enemy put in my head, God doesn't care. If God cared, I wouldn't be going through this. If God cared, this wouldn't have happened. If God cared, this would have been done. How many of you can say right now, there are situations in your past, situations in your life that are brought about, God doesn't care for me. Raise your hand. We want to bring you to a place of healing for that. Get you to a place where you see that God does care. And God will change your situation around. Father, I thank you for the insight that you give us. I thank you for the way that your word will open up to us. We have ears to hear. We have eyes that will see. And we receive the glorious things you have in store for us. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sister Marguerite. Good morning, church family. It's always a pleasure to uh, be with you and to uh, just fellowship just a couple minutes to say good morning to you and also those that are watching by way of the Internet and to thank God for his goodness, his goodness and his mercy that has kept us. I thank the Lord that I have a church family that I can, when things are, are going on, that I can know that that love that you have, we have for one another, I can be the benefit of that too. And um, things will happen to each and every one of us that we'll have to kind of lean on that love. And I'm so grateful that at no time have I expressed that I just need a little care, a little 
uh, a smile. You don't even have to ask for it. I have my church family and you, you just rally around and I'm so grateful for that. I just, uh, and I hope I don't say the same thing every week, but I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, I, this morning, um, I have some praise, uh, actually, um, praise reports in that Vanessa's, uh, mother, um, she had a procedure done and, and talking to her that, um, went well. And she will be in the rehab at Phoebe, uh, Wencote, room 301. So, uh, I guess it would be okay if someone wanted to visit or we're giving the information to you and to encourage her. Um, also, um, Sister uh, Candy wanted us to know that uh, Susan is not here today. She's not feeling well. And we just uh, thank God that we can come to him and say, Lord, our sister is not feeling well today. And just in our prayer time, we say, Lord, the need is there. We know you know what the need is. And we uh, combine our faith together to pray for her, that she will feel better real soon. Um, I also want to just um, direct your attention to the bulletin. We have many things that are going on um, that will be coming up in October. And we just ask that you look at our bulletin and avail yourself of it. Uh, really wonderful things that will be going on. And um, finally, I want to say that my mother was... Uh, she went to be with Jesus on Tuesday. And uh, again, my church family just rallied around me. And um, I'm here today uh, knowing that the strength that I, I get from being here among you, I wouldn't stay home and just because I'm thinking, what would I do? I'd stay home and do what? No, I'm going to come and be with my church family and the love that I sense from each and every one of you in your own way. I just say thank you. So like I said, she's um, she went to be with the Lord on Tuesday and I got up this morning. And I said, well, you know, mom, this is her first Sunday in heaven and she is rejoicing. You know, the, the we know enough about heaven to know that she is rejoicing. There's no more pain. There's no more confusion. God has received her, and she's among many of our loved ones that are there. And we're so grateful that he gives us the strength to walk through that. And sure, we will miss them, and they'll always be in our heart, and we'll have those times where the tears will flow sometimes. They're tears that we're human, and that's going to affect us. But we know where they are. And we'll see him again. So thank you so much for being a family. And as we join together and love one another, that's what we do. That's what a, that's what a Christian family do. The Bible says that they will know that we are Christians by the way we love one another. So let's do that. And as we go into next week, as we think of these needs that uh, have come, as prayer requests, um, include our brothers and our sisters in your prayers because your prayers are felt. It's not something that, you know, we just do haphazardly. Those prayers are de definitely felt. I can tell you from experience they're felt. So 
thank you so much and go today enjoy today and um, keep God in the forefront of your memory and he will direct your path and he will give you a good week so God bless all of you amen